I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Is hair a material? Are biscuits a material? Are crystals a material? Is plastic a material? Is porridge a material? Can gases be a material? Are eggs a material? Is water a material? What do you call everything that isn't a material? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at your question. And yet you continue to do so. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to Handmade, the making podcast with real talk about materials. I'm your host, material scientist Anna Pajajski, and this episode I talk to artist and designer Frances Priest about her work with ceramics. I started by asking Frances the story of how she became an artist. Well, I grew up in Wakefield in West Yorkshire and um, I don't come from um, like a background of kind of artists or craftspeople, but um, I guess my upbringing was, um, you know, surrounded by making of different sorts because my mum would make clothes and she would embroider and um, both my parents are keen gardeners and my dad would fix the car and take on DIY projects. So I guess that was kind of the background to... To, to just daily life and um, I was always drawing really that was you know kind of one of my favourite activities or out in the garden making mud pines. So. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> um, so yeah and I, I, heading off to art college was maybe quite a left of field decision um, mm. and I started off on a foundation course at Batley College in in Dewsbury and was fortunate to be taught there by um, a very renowned ceramic artist called David Roberts who specialises in raku uh, firing Mm. but his work is really um, he's exploring drawing but he's using smoke and firing on the surface of clay uh, to to explore mark making and and drawing in these beautifully hand-built vessels um and he was a very like straight talking Yorkshireman um (laughs) so it's quite exciting to sort of have a character like that making these incredibly lyrical poetic beautiful works and um I guess that really uh you know sparked my interest in clay as a material and Mm. I was encouraged by David to apply to Edinburgh College of Arts and that's where um, I studied ceramics in the design school um, but the design um, although the department was part of the design school geographically within the college building it was actually located more in the sort of um, visual arts fine arts section of the college so we were located next door to the sculpture department and I think that probably impacted on the type of teaching that we received and so we were 
encouraged to be incredibly experimental and um, explore the material. Um, so you had um, a really broad spectrum of work happening in the department from people who were exploring you know, production throwing right through to people who were firing nappies in their kind of <laughs> saga kilns to see what impact that would have on the surface of the clay and the glazes. <laughs> so it was very broad. And I think that, you know, that was probably, um, yeah, a good, a good home for me. Um, but I didn't always love clay. I was a bit sort of torn about, torn about it as a material and didn't always enjoy that unpredictability and um it took me a while to sort of find a way of working with the material and drawing has really been the sort of key in clay as a surface for drawing and mark making um so that's kind of yeah how I got started mm. and what what's your work now can you describe for the listeners sort of your the work that you're making uh, uh, currently yeah so they're the they're um ceramic objects that ex- languages of ornament and pattern so they're very detailed um brightly colored sort of jewel like gem like very ornate um they they'll have a familiar the pieces will be familiar because i'm working with motifs and patterns from different cultures and periods in history um but i'll rework them and i'll juxtapose things from different periods of time or different um, genres. Um, so there's a kind of curiosity to them as well. And they they kind of sit within a domestic scale, but some of the works um, can be quite large scale. And I also sort of branch out into um, more architectural scale works, mm. making um, sort of tile panels or details that will be inserted into interiors. And so... Um, work that's cited and and place place specific and re- developed through research into a place um is kind of all part of part and parcel of what I do so I kind of like moving around between scales and moving around between contexts as well so maybe my preference is to work on sighted projects rather than in galleries, but I do I do have a studio practice and I am making sort of self-contained ceramic objects as well. Um, mm. But all the work comes from research. It all starts from research into into decorative art and languages of ornament. Mm. So, what what elements of the history, I suppose, and the places do you do do really sort of speak to you? Um, what are you looking for when you're researching um, historical processes or patterns? Recently, I've become incredibly obsessed with Victorian decorative art and in particular a book called The Grammar of Ornament by um, an architect and uh, designer called Owen Jones. And um, it's, yeah, it's, it's been a book that's been with me since I was a child. But over the last sort of five years, I've started to make work directly in response to it. And it's a compendium of pattern from around the world. And it's constructed from an empirical point of view. So it's very much a, a book of its time. And it, it you know, speaks very much to um, British design history and um, I guess our political history and social history. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful book. And so my initial interest was just in that, in these gorgeous um, 
uh, lithographic printed pages that are full of detail and colour and samples of pattern. Um, but as time has gone on, you know, my understanding of the historical context of the book is coming more and more to the fore. Mm. And particularly over the last year, really starting to address that and grapple with that. And, and the deep problems within it are, you know, something that I'm really having to think about now. Mm. Um, but it, it, it's a hugely influential book um, and has played a, a massive part in, you know, British design uh, culture. Um, so, th so that's been a real focus. And then I guess, you know, jumping off from that, um, if, if I'm making a, um, a work in a public space, then I'll, I'll be looking for um, historical reference points as a, as a starting point. So it could be, it could be tiles, it could be, you know, textiles. Um, it, it, it really just depends. Mm -hmm. and, and then trying to unpack and look at the stories behind those motifs and patterns and colours, um, but also just kind of reveling, reveling in them and really enjoying them and really playing with them as mm. well. Um, that sounds amazing. Um, can, can you think of any sort of examples? I suppose I'm not very familiar with um, Victorian influenced design. <laughs> um, are there any sort of key maybe pieces of work that you've done that you can describe um, what the influence was and then how that translated into your work? Yeah, so a really significant piece of work over the last few years has been a commission for um, the Royal Edinburgh Hospital, mm. um, which was commissioned by Edinburgh and Lothian Health Foundation. And it was one of a series of artist commissions for a new hospital building, um, I guess as kind of informal wayfinding and to um, enhance and improve and humanise the hospital environment. Um, and the hospital specialises in mental health. And um, I spent quite a bit of time working with the patients, speaking to them about um, what would make for um, a positive environment. And I also looked into the history of the building and I was aware of... Um, Craig House Hospital, which was a precursor to the Royal Edinburgh Hospital, and that was a um, it was a private um, private asylum, basically, um, and it was it was known for having incredibly beautiful interiors. Um, and I couldn't actually physically access the building, but it's very very well documented um, on a on a. Um, a website called Canmore that looks at historic buildings and monuments in Scotland. So I researched it through that website. I found all these brilliant photographs of the interiors, um, beautiful plasterwork ceilings, lovely detailed metal grills, um, embossed wallpapers. You know, it was an extraordinary space. And I came across two tiled stairwells, very, very typically Victorian moulded, glazed tiles in okra and teal um, oh, wow. and that was a kind of like you know golden moment and um, I picked up on the decorative motifs and colours in those tiles and used those as a starting point for developing a um, contemporary tile work that spans the main corridor of the new Royal Edinburgh building oh, um, wow. So the process really was about playing with the colours and playing with the motifs and how they repeated and the scale of the motifs. Um, so, so you sort of walk 
through this corridor which is, has windows all the way down it and between the windows are these tiled panels and they change color they move through a color spectrum mm. from sort of okras and oranges through to turquoise blues right down to a dark teal so there's a kind of movement through the space and to make this work I collaborated with Craven Donnell Jackfield who are tile manufacturers in Shropshire um, who were established in or I can't quite remember the date 1850 something mm. and um, they they're absolute specialists in in Victorian um, tile manufacturing work on lots of heritage projects but also uh, more and more working with contemporary artists so I mm. use their skills and knowledge to um, I guess update this tradition um, of Victorian tiled interiors um, so that was a real joy to kind of um, scale up my work and work with this expertise look through their glaze library which is like mm. a sweetie shop <laughs> yeah. um, and also, you know, I, I'd sort of pick up a colour and then Michelle, their kind of glaze expert, um, would look at it and say, yeah, yeah, we can do that. But, you know, uh, what do you want us to tweak it at all? And then mm. she'd go away and come back with some different samples. So, um, yeah, it's a really, really fantastic collaboration. And the sort of um, excitement of seeing um my designs originals which I made in the studio then uh scaled up and um, <laughs> you know multiples in all yes. different departments through the factory was a really exciting moment um so I guess that the end work then is embedded in um the history of the building in dialogue with the patients and staff and also in the production methods manufacturing methods as well yeah. Did you use tr sort of traditional Victorian manufacturing methods and materials or were they updated at all? Um, so I, I guess the thing with ceramics is there's there's sort of, uh, the, in many ways, there's not much that's changed, you know, with the material and, and how, how you work with it. Mm. Um, so the, the pieces were slip cast. So there were plaster moulds and liquid clay is poured into plaster moulds. And that's that's a technique that's been, you know, used for a very, very long time. Um, I think maybe the, the clay body has been tweaked slightly uh, so that it's... Uh, um, doesn't warp and that you know they'll be different but I would imagine pretty much the techniques are, are the same you mm. know as they were um, back when the factory was first established um, so I guess it's yeah that that's really nice to, to know that there's that kind of link mm -hmm. and we've I've had um, other experts on the podcast talking about not exactly glazes actually but sort of enamels and um pigments really sort of natural pigments um yeah. were the colors that you chose based on sort of traditional uh pigment sources or were they again were they sort of updated for the modern day uh so there would be um a mixture of um oxides and stains and mm. um most most of most of the most of the colors that we use i think were from from oxides because with stains you tend to get um a bit of a flatter kind of color and maybe something that's not quite so translucent and vibrant mm -hmm. um, but the, you see this is where I let myself down because I don't um I'm not very good at researching my materials okay interesting um, uh 
so that yeah that maybe doesn't help with your podcast no. too much. <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> fine you're I feel like you're maybe yeah um you're coming at this from a higher level right like you've got the vision the artistic vision and actually the materials don't really matter <laughs> I think it's a question though and and again something that um I'm probably very late to this but uh you know ethical sourcing of materials is mm. is definitely a consideration now and um I, I've been fortunate enough to be awarded a um Queen Elizabeth Scholarship Trust um grant to go and spend some time with Craven Donnell Jackfield on the factory floor oh, cool. and so I think some of those questions will start to come up when I'm working with them mm. and um starting to look at sort of the origins of the clay that I'm using and because I mean ceramics is pretty unsustainable in one way as well in lots of ways as a as a means of working but I, I guess the one thing that it does have on its side is longevity mm. so um you know the tiles that are going up on the on the walls could potentially be there longer than the building yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that that that's the one thing that the material does have on its side in terms of sustainability but mm. I think being more conscious of um the sourcing of the oxides and stains that I'm using and um yeah will be something that will come up through through conversations mm. with Braden Donald if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Why do you say that, that ceramics are in general quite unsustainable? 
Well, I guess your your mining materials. So mm-hmm. there are environmental concerns around that. Um, your firing materials. So there's you know an energy cost there. Mm-hmm. Um, you're potentially polluting the environment with the you know the things that are burning off the materials. Yeah. Um, and it's just me making work in my studio you know I'm not a, a, a huge big factory but but nonetheless I think these are you know these are all issues that we need mm. to kind of grapple with um at whatever scale we can so yeah. um, I'm thinking about it I haven't acted on it sure. as yet the sustainability of materials question is so it's so complex and um it's been very interesting and equally frustrating as a material scientist in the last five, 10 years. Um, with the the public conversation about sustainability of, of objects and materials, um, specifically plastics has been a huge one in the public consciousness. Um, and the, the complexity of the question about what's the most sustainable material to use for, let's say, a straw or a plastic bag... It's it's so multifaceted and even even the expert scientists can't they can only give you an estimate because it's all tied into um mm. you know, human whimsy and <laughs> what what we prefer and what we um what we will accept in terms of material um performance and perception, public perception is kind of one of the biggest driving factors in terms of material choices, not necessarily yeah the sort of the objective facts about the longevity of the materials or the um, potential for biodegradation or um, yeah, the mining where they've come from. So it's so complicated. And with ceramics, there's certainly an argument that like you say, their longevity is, is incredible. Um, But it is the firing process is a one way transition. You know, you're creating ceramic out of clay and when you look back at you know the history of the potteries in Stoke on Trent, I mean the you yeah. know the environmental damage and the the human cost as well um, to to that you know uh, heavy industrialised manufacturing, mm. um, you know, and, and all of that now is is um, we don't think about it anymore because everything's getting manufactured overseas, <laughs> so it's not sort of right in front of us anymore. Yeah. I've not I've not travelled to China to go to any of the ceramic um centers there but um yeah it's sort of out of sight out of mind I think rather than you know something Mm -hmm. so it is very complicated and I guess as somebody who's making and contributing to the mountain of objects that you know are populating the world uh it's a huge question yeah (laughs) it's kind of of overwhelming really um but I suppose the 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 fact that I'm doing it at a sort of human scale, I guess, is the one thing that I sometimes think will cling on to a bit. You know, is that it's me in my studio and and not a you know a great big factory producing things for IKEA. You know, mm-hmm. and they're, they're objects that people really you know I'm investing time in them and then people invest in in that time and they become heirloom pieces Mm. so that kind of I think guess fewer better things yep is the sort of mantra that I hold on to to 
to to justify still making anything at all um yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think i think that's a very healthy ethos to have and and even to be thinking about these questions at all puts you ahead of a lot of um people put people making objects in the world i think um and yeah just yeah. to be mindful of like you say this this mounting production and consumption um and yeah and i think consumption's the thing as well and and how or what people consume and also um you know there's so much more to just sort of making the work the engagement with people toward making the work and what that can open up so the studio that I work in there's a fantastic um and growing ceramic education facility called Edinburgh Ceramic Workshop and it's one of many you know around the country now and there's been this huge resurgence of interest in ceramics and um I think the fact that people would choose to spend a Saturday morning in a pottery studio rather than on the high street um, purchasing something, mm. you know, is a, is a really positive direction of travel. Definitely. Um, and I think people re-engaging with making and how things are made um, is an incredibly important process bit of education um opening up of a dialogue to start thinking about how things are made and and what we do with them yeah and I think if, if you have a material uh, an understanding of a material and the process of making then you can apply that in all sorts of different contexts so if you understand how the time and expertise and skill involved in throwing a bowl then that might open up your thinking to how a car is made or how a garment is made mm. or all the you know all the different things around us um and I think that sort of divorce from making that's happened in our society c contributes to the problem mm. definitely it'd be really interesting to hear sort of what's next for you what projects you work on now what what are the unanswered questions for you in terms of where you want to see your work going um, so as I say, the uh, Quest scholarship has been is pending. Oh yes, um, and that's uh, yeah that that that's been a fantastic opportunity um, that's been delayed slightly by COVID. But mm. I'm um, hope hopefully working towards starting up sort of early summer down on the factory floor, okay. getting to grips with all the fabulous making techniques. And and um, you know I'm a real believer in understanding as I've just kind of. Yeah, been on my soapbox about, but in in understanding processes and understanding making, and then that can really inform what you do and and um, with with this knowledge and with these techniques. So I'm hoping that I can use that information to start working on larger scale ceramic interiors, um, whether that be with architects or with interior designers or working on further you know public projects. Um, I like the idea of bringing that knowledge into my studio practice so there might be you know ways in which I can clad objects sculptural forms in tiles mm. or units of ceramic or so that that's sort of one direction of travel um I'm also at the moment working on a really exciting new collaboration with um a precious 
stone carving workshop in Jaipur. Cool. And uh, I guess that's come out of um, lockdown, really, and the ways in which we've made all these random connections online because <laughs> we've all been sort of stuck at home. So I ma- made this connection with um, a company called Kuravinda and um, they're, they're, and the, the stone carving workshop is a, is a very long-standing, you know, generations long uh, workshop, but the, the, this company is, is, is newly establishing and we're working on some um, objects that we're going to try and um, sell to people to uh, in the UK and um, we're taking some of my designs and inlaying them with precious stones and beautiful marbles and agates and citrines and wow. so it's a, it's a new kind of material to work with but it's very exciting for me because it's taking my interest in uh, languages of ornament from India, which I've been looking at filtered through um, the grammar of ornament. And I'm now in in direct conversation with craftspeople and and makers in India. So it's, it's moving that exploration forward. Um, and it's a direct dialogue now. And I'm looking at historical examples from Mughal era India as a reference point for developing contemporary designs. Um, so it's been, that's been a really exciting project to work on. And we'll, yeah, that's kind of, um, I've just had some samples back of some of the first designs cool. and it's extraordinary to see, see, you know, the stones that the, the master crafts people have selected and mm. how they're translating my drawings. So mm. it's kind of that, that idea of languages of ornament and them evolving and changing through materials and making and through the hands of different craftspeople that's it's actually you know a kind of live dialogue which is really exciting that sounds incredible I can't wait to watch how it develops <laughs> it's all under wraps at the moment okay but yeah I can't, I can't wait to <laughs> start yeah, sharing images of what's going on fantastic maybe sort of in September we're hoping at the moment but it's it's very you know it's incredibly challenging at the moment and um you know the the um, India's gone into lockdown again at the moment, yeah. so it's extraordinary actually that there's that the workshops still, um, you know, people are still make, have been able to make things. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, so that it's also I guess so. Yeah, that um, it's really you know you see news reports of what's happening in India, but then you're mm. actually sort of working directly with somebody who's experiencing that at first hand, and it's been yeah really worrying and yeah 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 sort of how lucky we are actually definitely definitely um but what a special thing to be able to collaborate across borders this year (laughs) absolutely yeah massively massively armchair traveling (laughs) yeah definitely oh fantastic well so i suppose i've got two final questions for you the first is you mentioned about you know members of the public going to throw pots on a potter's wheel instead of going to the high street on a saturday um, yes. If listeners have been inspired by what you've been saying about um, sustainability of materials or ceramics in general, um, well, what would you recommend to the complete beginner in terms of where they can go and learn more? Yeah, I would go and sign up for a course, definitely. And there's loads of um, pottery studios um, establishing themselves. There's been a real resurgence in interest mm. in ceramics. Probably um, the pottery throwdown has had a <laughs> yeah. huge part. 
playing that, which is great. Uh, so yeah, go and go and sign up um, for a course and um, be prepared to um, be hugely disappointed with the results, but really enjoy the process. <laughs> <laughs> I could definitely relate to that based on my experiences on the wheel. <laughs> Um, and yeah, maybe actually try and um, work work in a studio where um, it isn't just about throwing, but they mm. um, they have the opportunity to show you lots of different techniques. I, I work predominantly with hand building techniques and using plaster molds. And actually, there's you know probably in lots of ways that's an easier place to start. Throwing is incredibly difficult. Yep. <laughs> so um and in terms of um thinking about sustainability of materials um uh well here in scotland we we have craft scotland and there's the crafts council and both of those um organizations are definitely um looking at those areas and um crafts magazine is a really good publication for you know addressing looking at artists who are addressing addressing those issues so there are lots of artists now who are are grappling directly with those and um those questions um so that yeah hunt those people down which is what I'm going to be doing and and see 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 what's being made and yeah I guess ask ask it we've all got to start asking questions haven't we you know so going going to suppliers and saying well where where is this coming from Mm. what's the environmental impact and Mm. and being careful with materials as well and you know recycling your clay the clay that doesn't get fired you know making sure that you recycle and reuse that and not wasting materials being careful with them being um conscious of making sure that your kiln is properly stacked and full so that you're getting the most out of your firing Mm. um yeah all of those sorts of things I guess great advice um and finally if listeners have enjoyed hearing from you and want to have a look at your work and keep up to date with what you're up to where can they go maybe online to see see what you're doing Sure. So I've got a very active Instagram account. Uh, so it's Francis Priest Studio and it's Francis with an E. And um, I also have a website, but I'm maybe not as good at keeping that up to date. <laughs> I keep obviously reading my website and then another six months go by. So um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can look at sort of a, a, an archive of images there, but um, Instagram's probably yeah the best place to kind of keep up with what's going on in the studio day to day. Fantastic. Thanks so much for talking to me today. It's been fascinating to hear from you um, and about languages of ornament, you know, and and your sort of ethos and thoughts behind it. Uh, It's a real pleasure to chat to you. Thanks for inviting me. So that was the wonderful Frances Priest on all things ceramics. Thanks so much to her for coming on the podcast. A reminder that my book, Handmade, A Scientist's Search for Meaning Through Making, is out now. It's available to order um, as a hardback online and also available in all good bookshops. And you can get hold of a Kindle copy, if that's more your thing, and the audiobook version online as well. Let me know what you think of the book if you're enjoying it or just say hi to me on social media. I'm at Anna Pajaiski. That's everything for this episode. As always, it would be awesome if you could like and subscribe to the podcast and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts too. You can say hello to us on social media. We're on Twitter at Real Talk, that's R-I-A-L Talk, and on Instagram at Handmade Pod. 
If you feel like supporting the podcast with a one-time financial donation, you can do so at supporter.acast.com forward slash handmade. Thanks to everyone who's already done so. It really does help to keep us going. And a huge thanks as well to Alex Lathbridge for the music mix. Next week, I'll be talking to Sophie Cotterill about her craft of weaving. So until then, take very good care and I'll speak to you next time on Handmade. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.